Good morning, Spanish River. If we have not had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Mike Veets. I'm the executive pastor here at Spanish River Church. And we are continuing our study in the song of our Savior. And we'll be in Psalm number 40. Psalm 40. Is it supposed to be Psalm number 40? Doesn't sound right, does it? Psalm 40. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up. If you have an electronic device, you can turn to Psalm 40. We're going to read that together. And then we're going to pray. So Psalm chapter 40 starting in verse one, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare to you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have delivered us in the past. You have given us countless number of stories in the Old Testament and New Testament of your deliverance for your covenant people. And Father, you promise to deliver us in the future when your son comes back and makes all things new. Lord, regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, would we remember your previous deliverances in our life and in the lives of your covenant people, and may we look hopefully to your deliverance at the second coming of your son, Jesus. And may he be glorified in, with the remainder of our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So my brother and I went fishing one morning. It was in western South Dakota. It was a cool morning in western South Dakota, which if you've ever been north of Nebraska, you'll realize is most of the year. <laughs> but this was cold enough to where the outside of the lake we were on were starting to freeze. And every time my brother and I went fishing, and in fact, every time Susie, my wife, and I go fishing, we have this little competition to see who can catch the greatest fish and the most number of fish. 
And so we got there, we t- we're, we're fly fishing, we tie on our flies, and it's time to go. My brother's pretty aggressive. He's been fishing most of his life. In fact, he was on the cover of Bass Pro Magazine or something when he was 12 years old. And so he decides he's gonna start breaking the ice and get into the water and try to get a better advantage to see if he can fish underneath the ice. I'm a little, I would like to say wiser, but maybe less aggressive. And I decided I'm just gonna stay on the bank of this little river slash lake and and just kind of try to cast out over. Both of us have waders on and it's not too long after we started that I hear my brother yelling. We go opposite directions, he starts yelling. I look at just in time to watch him fall in. So I start slowly walking because, you know, he's my brother. And then I realize he's actually in a, lot of, he's in a lot of trouble. He had not put the belt around his waders that is meant to keep water from going in. And the water he had walked into was much deeper than he anticipated. And so as I'm halfway to him, I realize the water's up to his neck. And he, and he has, I mean, his yells are getting more and more frantic. So I, I hesitantly, I start running because, you know, he's my brother. And by when I get over there, I see the terror in his eyes. He is completely helpless. His waders have filled up with water and, he, and, and the ice is all around him and he can't get out and I, I have to save his life. I hope he's watching because he owes me his life. <laughs> and I can say that's the first time and only time I've ever not lost a fishing competition because immediately afterwards, we went home. <laughs> But have you ever been in a situation where you were just completely beyond your abilities to save yourself? Some of you are like, well, not fishing. I'm probably not even physically. Some of us may have been emotionally beyond where we could, where we could really rescue ourselves and bring ourselves back. Maybe financially, maybe relationally. You're in waters way too deep for you to be able to recover a relationship that you dearly love and desperately want to keep. If you haven't been in a situation where the circumstances are well beyond your ability to recover from, my guess is in the span of your life, you will be. And so today's message is important for those who have been in difficult times, are in difficult times, or will be in difficult times. David had been in such difficult times, and he starts Psalm 40 40 out with a remembrance of past difficult times and God's deliverance. Pastor Tim last week said there are three types of psalms, psalms of thanksgiving, psalm of praise, and the psalm of lament. Psalm 40 happens to be two of those. He starts out with psalm of thanksgiving, of past deliverance, and he goes right into psalm of lament because he finds himself in another difficult time. So in Psalm 40, he starts out describing the situation he was in. He says it was a pit of destruction. The idea here is you're in this cavern with incredible amount of rushing water running towards you. There's no getting out, there's no swimming, there's nothing. You're absolutely helpless. The other word he uses is miry bog. This is really just kind of an old time well that had not completely dried up, but there's no standing water to be able to drink. It was just muddy enough to where the mud would grab you and suck you and up to your knees or your waist. There's no climbing out of it. And oftentimes, what they would do in biblical times is if if they wanted somebody to die, they'd put them in one of these wells. You can't climb out, you can't drink the water, there's no food, and there's hardly any sunlight. It's only a matter of time before you die. These are the two ways that David describes the situation he was previously in. A pit of destruction, a miry bog. The point is, he was floundering and completely helpless. And then he says, what did he he do in the midst of that? He waited patiently, and the Lord delivered him. 
David describes it as he set my feet upon the rock. He made my steps secure. These are a complete opposite of where he was before. So God brings him out of this miry pit. He brings him out of this pit of destruction, makes his standing firm, uh, gives him firm steps to take next. He completely delivers David. And David, David, as a result, sings praises to his God. And what are the responses of those who see this incredible deliverance? This deliverance that only could be a result of God's intervention. Many scholars think he was deathly ill, that David was deathly ill. There was no, no recovering whatsoever, and yet God brought him through. The result was a response of faith. So David remembers a past difficulty and the deliverance, and then he says that the people who see it will both fear and trust. We see this in verse three. Fear, now oftentimes when we look at fear, we're like, well, that doesn't seem like, a faithful response. But the Hebrew word here really means they will be in awe. There will be an amazing wonder at this God who's able to deliver David from near death, certain death, really. And they will then trust their own life to this God. David has the same response. We see that his, first he rejects uh, heartless formality, he says in verse six, in sacrifice and offering you have not, have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Really what David is saying here is, listen, God rejects the idea that you're gonna just simply come, go through the motions, and then be delivered. What God calls us to is wholehearted devotion to him. Wholehearted devotion, that's not just something we say with our mouths, but something we do with our entire beings. The Hebrew here says he gave me an open ear. It actually says he dug for me an open ear. There are two thoughts behind that. One is he gave me an ear that can hear God's commands, but also understand God's commands and also are willing to obey God's commands. He's dug in it. God has given me an ear to know what God wants, to understand what he wants, and to obey what he wants. And David is saying, listen, I will commit my life to you, God. So here, David is reflecting on this incredible deliverance that God had given him. And as a result, he's praising God. And he's saying, listen, God, I will do anything and everything for you, whatever it takes I am completely, 100% devoted to you. Have you ever been there? Like God does something amazing in your life and you're just rejoicing in his grace and his mercy and the power of his deliverance and you're just like, God, I will, I will completely live for you from here on out. And then you, then you read, do not resist the one who is evil, but in anyone who slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And you're like, oh, well, I mean, I know it says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but I mean, he kind of had it coming, right? Or you're like, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. And it says, do not lay treasures up on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay, your, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're like, not sure I agree with that wisdom. Or this is my favorite. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what will you put on? And you're like, uh, how about this? How about God, you worry about the really big things and I'll worry about these minor things that I can easily take care of. 
Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're like, God, I will do anything. And then you start to read his word and you're like, well, let's negotiate. There are some things I can handle on my own, right, God? Well, David was exactly in that spot. He, he remembers this incredible deliverance, the power of God, and he's rejoicing. And he's just, God, I will give everything to you. But we see in verse 12 of, of, uh, of Psalm 40, where David has found himself in another terrible situation. Read with me verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond numbers. My iniquities, my sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. My sins are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails. David found himself in an incredibly difficult situation of his own doing. This is after God delivered him mightily. This is after he's committed his whole life to God. He's like, God, I will do anything for you. And then, I don't know how many years later, he's like, oh, listen, um, so I didn't, <laughs> and here I am. And to make things worse, he had enemies who saw that he's in this terrible situation, and they just hoped and wished for his continued downfall. The shame and the guilt of his own sin, seen by the world, and then he has enemies hoping for his worse. That's where David finds himself. As I said, it's a song of thanksgiving of God's past deliverances, and then a song of lament, where he's in this helpless situation again, and is unable to deliver himself. You know, Suzanne and I found ourselves, I've shared this here before, I'll share it again because I think it does give glory and honor to God. Suzanne and I found ourselves about 13 years ago in a similar place of despair. As David's first one, we had our second daughter, Flair, was born four months early and right after her emergency C-section, I got to go, well not right after, it was like six hours later after they stabilized her, I got to go see her and the doctors told me that she had a 95% chance of dying. I thought they were full of it, and they didn't know what they were talking about, and I went and talked to Suzanne, who's a NICU nurse, and she's like, actually, that's, that's pretty gracious. Then Suzanne's doctor came in and gave us the exact same news about Suzanne. They both had sepsis. What that started was the hardest three years of my life. And time and time again, the doctors would tell us this terrible news, and time and time again, God would just show them wrong. It doesn't always work that way for people but it did work for us. And after about three, three and a half years, we started, to, we started to see Flara flourish. Suzanne obviously did not pass. And what resulted was us just saying, God, we will do whatever it takes to glorify you. Now I'm here to say, because my second point, or my second point was, you know, listen, we, we say that and we're unable to keep up. We're unable to follow through with our commitment. But Suzanne and I have, I, I guess I tell that story to say, uh, sometimes people look at preachers and like, oh, well, you've had a cushiony life. Home life is super easy. You could preach those ideals up there because nothing hard happens to you. That's just simply not true. And it wasn't true for David, God's chosen king. He had been through hard times, almost died from a health problem. Now he finds himself in a situation of his own doing that's about to undo him again. And he responds by faith. He looks to God and says, you will have mercy on me. Now, that's not demanding, but it's hopeful. He 
He says, I can't get out of this by myself. I need you to deliver me. And I believe you're a merciful God and that you will. Now, How in the world can David, how can David, who just admitted that he sinned against his God, trust that that same God is not going to have mercy on him and deliver him? Because David had experienced God in suffering before. And he knew God's character based on what he read in scripture. And he knew God's character based on how God had delivered Israel completely undeservedly from years of punishment in the wilderness. We see what Johnny Erickson Tata tells us. He says, God always seems bigger to those who need him the most. And suffering is a tool he uses to help us need him more. David had experienced suffering. And in the process, God, he had seen God do marvelous things, and God was huge. So now he finds himself in another very difficult spot, and having been trained through suffering, he knows God will hear his prayers, and he knows that God will deliver him. He responds by faith. He looks at Exodus 34 and he sees God when he describes himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. David reads this with an ear of faith and he says, this is who you are, God. I trust that you'll have mercy on me. That's remarkable. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you've messed up so royally, you just don't possibly see how God could be merciful to you? I mean, I have. And yet God again and again and again promises that he has mercy on those who are his covenant children, those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. David sees this, his own history of how God's been gracious, He sees God's graciousness towards Israel in the Old Testament. He sees God's gracious character spelled out in the scriptures and he responds in faith. It's remarkable. Now, maybe you have yet to suffer or maybe you're just entering into a season of suffering for the first time. Or maybe you have messed up so bad and caused suffering for so many you look at this and you just don't see how, how in the world could God possibly have mercy on you and deliver you. Or maybe the circumstances of your suffering are so severe that you can't look past the waves and see the Savior. Can I, can I help us recognize that Jesus is the hope in the midst of this? You know, we say that We're talking about the songs of a savior, how the Psalms point us towards a savior. And oftentimes when we read Old Testament figures, we, we incorrectly interpret it as, how can I be like David? Right? Sometimes you hear sermons on like, what are your stones that are gonna defeat your giant? And guys, I'm here to tell you, that's absolutely bogus. You and I are not the hero of the story, neither is David. David points towards the hero and that who is Jesus Christ, as does this psalm. And we see the fulfillment or the laying out of that in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you still have your Bibles with you, open to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be in verse five. You see, 
David looked forward to his, his savior coming and rescuing him. We do the same. But before we get to Hebrews 10, let me say this. What are some other options that we typically pick other than God to deliver us? David tells us in verse four. He says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. It is within my heart and everybody's heart to put our trust in mighty, powerful people. They're going to rescue us. I remember when Noel was, uh, when Suzanne was pregnant with Noel, we had a, a believing OBGYN and there were some health complications. And I asked him, I said, so what are you going to do to fix it? And he said, there's nothing I can do. I said, it's a wrong, literally, I said, it's a wrong answer. I'm paying you to fix it. He said, I can't. We're going to pray. And I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, 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 that prayer stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I just graduated Bible college to be a pastor. And here this doctor's like, we're going to pray, Mike. It's like, oh, oh, that's right, we should do that. <laughs> we have a tendency to put our trust in some person or some part of creation to deliver us from whatever it is we're struggling with. Depression, relational tension, financial issues. And guys, God uses the giftings of everyone to bring about deliverance, but it's always God delivering us through doctors. God's the source. And we need to recognize that in the midst of our trials and struggles. We turn to our Savior to deliver us. And he'll choose how to do so. So here we go, Hebrews chapter 10. I want us to see Christ's perfect obedience unto death. Remember we said that you and I, we come in with all this energy and excitement and we're gonna, we're gonna perfectly obey you, God. And then we're like five seconds into it and we're like, eh, maybe next time, right? Jesus wasn't like that at all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse five says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have, not taken, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. Oh God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. First, it's written of Jesus. All the Old Testament, sacrifices, law, everything, uh, the characters David point to Jesus and he fulfills them. Every single one of them. And he says, I came to do your will, Father. And he did perfectly. From the time he was born to the time he died. He was so obedient, he he was obedient to the point of dying on the cross. Jesus said, like David, I'm gonna obey you perfectly with my whole being. But unlike David, and unlike you and I, Jesus actually did it. He was obedient, and he did it willingly. So the second one I want you to see is Christ's willing sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered, Christ Jesus himself offered himself for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. The, the, the significance of sitting down means it's finished. Jesus doesn't have to keep coming back to sacrifice for our sins. It's one and done forever. And he offered willingly. You know, Jesus, John 1 tells us, was with God in the beginning and was God. And through him, all things created. And nothing that's been created was ever created apart from him, right? So we have to understand that Jesus willingly 
laid his life down so that we could be made perfect and be adopted by our Father. You're asking the question, how do I know God loves me? How do I know he's going to be merciful towards me? How do I know that he'll deliver me? The answer is in Jesus. How do I know God loves me? Because he loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life and to die the death that you and I deserve. And he was resurrected from the dead. That's the anchor of our hope. As great as our past deliverances are, the fact that Jesus came and accomplished that is what anchors our hope. And that's what we should cling to because Christ's sacrifice is also perfecting. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Think of that. Perfected for all time. Paul would later say, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Nobody. When when you put your faith in Christ, what happens is God the Father looks at you and he sees the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus. And nothing can separate you from his love. How do you know God's gonna be with you? How do you know God cares for you? How do you know God's gonna deliver you? Because Jesus has secured his love and favor for eternity on your behalf. It is our anchor, it is our hope. It is our only hope in difficult times. But there's this one part that it just kind of stands out to me every time I read it in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, chapter 12. So the background is, Psalm 40 points us to Jesus. In Psalm 40, chapter 12, it says, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. You remember that? I find this really, really cool. Because I just finished saying that Jesus lived the perfect life, right? So how could Jesus be on the cross and say, my iniquities overwhelm me? It's called the great exchange. On the cross, God the Father takes your sins and my sins and puts them on Jesus. And he's punished because he's the perfect substitute on our behalf. He's the one who's punished for us. Second Corinthians 5 says, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's remarkable. It's incredible. And David, by faith, looked forward to the time of Christ and said, I know you will deliver me. I know. Now, that doesn't always mean, my friends, that things turn out exactly how we have planned, right? We know that. There are hard, this world is incredibly hard. But there's this promise in Romans 8, 28 that he works all things out for good. And oftentimes, in our finite minds, we don't quite understand what is our good. Amen? So in February of this year, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And on July 13th, she went in for a six-hour surgery to remove that cancer. Uh, Late July 12th, I found out that my longtime mentor and pastor, Ron Tobias, had passed. This Wednesday, we found out that they were unable to remove all of the cancer that they were trying to remove and that this is going to be a longer process and more grueling process than we expected. Now, the prognosis is still good. There's still a high rate of cure, but this is really, really hard, right? 
And what do Suzanne and I, what do we do? We remember God's past deliverances in our life. He's been so faithful. Things have been hard, but he has been faithful. We look back at scripture and we see how God has faithfully delivered countless of his children through thousands of years. He is not only willing, but he's able to do so. We respond by faith, by trusting in those things and knowing that God's gonna work all things out for our good. And we cling to the promises that are yes and amen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, it's, it's hard to talk about, but if Susie were not to make it, we'd still be okay. How? Because Jesus promises that that's not the final word. Death has been overcome. Death has been conquered, my friends. And he promises that he's gonna come back and make all things new. Death is not the end. It's been defeated. And that's incredible hope in the midst of incredibly difficult times. So would you join me in the midst of your own struggle in remembering God's deliverance in, the, in your past, remembering God's deliverance through his covenant people in the scriptures, responding by faith to those promises and also by conforming our, our thoughts and our actions to the word of God and clinging to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Would you join me in that in your own situation? And if you've never come to trust in Jesus, might I encourage you to do so? The incredible hope that it provides in the midst of the most terrifying circumstances in life is unexplainable. The peace that passes all understanding is real, and it's available in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that regardless of our circumstances, we can look outside of ourselves, see our Savior who loves us and is with us. And we can have confidence that regardless of our circumstances, you are for us and you are in control and you will deliver us. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to look at you with wonderment and amazement and awe. Father, help us to trust you in the midst of it. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.